Listener Production. Well, this is a rarity on the Howie Games because we are doing a special. We haven't done many of these, but the way the country has been in raptures following the Matildas over the last month, we need to jump on the bandwagon, basically, so that's what we're doing. Uh, These footballers that some of us knew, a lot of us would have never heard of before, have become household names. Mary Fowler's become Mary. Caitlin Ford's become 40. Sam Kerr was always Sam Kerr, but they have burst onto the national scene and we are loving every moment of it. Now, before I introduce our superstar guests, the FIFA Women's World Cup has been incredible. For those of you that may have missed a bit of what's been going on, and there can't be many of you, let's be honest, let's have a bit of a look back on what has been occurring, a bit of a recap on the last week or two, courtesy of the Seven Network, just to get you fired up, ready to roll. Shock for the Matildas, and full-time at the Brisbane Stadium sees Nigeria taking all three points with a 3-2 victory over Australia. I think also it's important for me to be strong enough emotionally now to see that this performance was not a 3-2 loss uh, if you look at the performance per se. Here post it goes, it breaks kindly, Hayley Russell! What a moment for Australia! Lovely touch by Mary Fowler, she's away. Now looking to release Caitlin Ford and she's onside. Caitlin Ford, big chance Australia on the angle! so proud that they are represented by the Matildas. This is as tense as sport gets. Pentadali, what a save! That's enormous! The tension is unbelievable. From the spot, she sends Australia through! It's the first ever World Cup semi-final for Australia. It is rarefied air. Honestly, I don't know how I'm feeling right now. We are going to semis. I haven't processed that. I just don't know how to feel. I've never been to a penalty shootout. Had so much confidence in us out there. To know that we've made history and to do it with this team, I'm honestly so proud of each and every one of them. It just, I don't think it's hit me that, you know, I was the one that stood up for the, the last penalty kick. To get through a hurdle like that just shows what our team's about and the belief we have. And yeah, I never say die attitude came out tonight. We've always talked about this and known we can do it. I think the fact that we've, you know, got to a semi-final in a World Cup now, we're just all in, we're just all so shocked and just, oh my God, can't (laughs) believe it. So we're all pumped up about it and I'm fortunate to know a man that is in the midst of the maelstrom. He joined us on the show previously uh, to talk to me about the IPL. He is a broadcaster of great renown and he is the busiest man in Australian media at the moment. His name is Adam Peacock and I hope you're putting in invoices for everything you are doing, my friend, because you, alongside the Matildas, have blown up. I cannot wait for the end of August because there'll be invoices going out and I cannot wait until the holidays plan for the end of September for those invoices to come back to pay for that holiday. Otherwise, we're going to the local caravan park, Howie, if those invoices aren't true. But no, what a what a time for Australian sport. What a time for Australia, full stop. I think it goes beyond sport and it's it's a real moment of unification for everyone around the country in, in challenging times outside of the realm of sport with, you know, yeah. you're, you're uncertain about what's going on in, in day-to-day life. But, man, this is wild. And I'm so pumped you've carved out an hour or so to talk to us. But what this is not, this is not going into Rasso's goals or um, Caitlin Ford streaking down the wing or 
the penalty shootout. It's more behind the scenes about what goes on in the broadcast, your interaction with the players, what you can tell us about some of the players, the TV side of things, to basically give people a different perspective on what is the World Cup. But but firstly, mate, congratulations on all the work you've done. So Adam um, has followed football for a long time. He's covered major, major global sporting events, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, Australian Opens. Now, now he's on... The, the best ride of all. He wrote a book called That Night back in 2005 when Aloisi put us into the World Cup, which was probably the most famous football moment in the history of this country. But I say was. Is it now was? I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon. And John Aloisi was there the other night with us and he's a lovely guy, John, because he's like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is top me. This He was the first to say it. And he didn't say that in any way, shape or form to say, oh, remember me, it's about me, but this is bigger. It was just purely off the top of his head. And I think so. I mean, this is this is changing how we look at football and sport in a way that I, I didn't comprehend and I, I still kind of don't comprehend. Um, and the way that these group of women have come together since they were high school age, uh, a lot of them, and they're lifelong friends. So there's that aspect of it. So it's, it's, it's knowing that you can achieve something special with people that you've known from a very young age. It's women's sport, as we've known, Howie, across every kind of sport is taking steps forward. Some bigger steps and giant steps as opposed to others, but everything's going forward in the professional sphere. This is happening right here. And it's, it's extraordinary, all of it. And yes, it does top 2005 because that was to make a World Cup. This is to win a World Cup. Weird. So the events, you know, I mentioned Australian Opens and Olympics and, you know, Melbourne Cups and and football qualifiers, international footballers. You've been you've been blessed and hard work to, to do so many of these things. Give me an indication of, of the atmosphere that you're experiencing in the ground, the atmosphere that a lot of us can't experience. Where does it sit in the pantheon of Adam Peacock's sporting <laughs> extravaganzas? It's it's up there. If not top, it's very close to. And it's hard to sum up. It's hard to compare everything because when you're in the moment, you've got the ultimate case of recency bias. So it feels like the best yeah. thing ever. And and that's that's the purity of what it's giving us at the moment because it feels like you haven't felt like anything before um, with when it comes to sport and watching sport. So when you are a sport lover, you, you, you try and weigh things up and there's always a comparison to make about what you've seen, who's the greatest player, what's the greatest moment, what's the greatest atmosphere. But this this feels like it – I've explained it to a few mates of mine. It feels like you're in an alternate universe, especially caring about the game as much as, as I do and, and seeing it at a grassroots level and seeing my son play and, and trying to coach kids and you know seeing what goes on behind the scenes with local clubs. And to see the sport at the centrepiece of Australian society right now, it's kind of, I don't know, it, it is emotional. It doesn't make you cry, but it, it just makes you happy. That's that's the overriding. And even if they lose the Matildas, which hasn't happened yet um, in a big game this World Cup, it did happen against Nigeria, but it, it pushed us up, up against the wall. It, it doesn't feel like it's your ordinary, oh, we must win this. We must not lose. It's going to be a disaster if we lose. It's going to be the greatest thing of all. It, it's bigger than that. It's, it's really hard to quantify, but yeah, as I said, out-of-body experience, that's as close as I can come to, to trying to, to uh, explain it all. It's a great description. Uh, we'll get to how you got involved, and I'm fascinated by the logistics of broadcasting a truly an enormous world event like this, but when the penalties are taking place... So if I'm – people, you know, every game you commentate of 
AFL, you're biased. You're against my team. You, you get messages that you're biased against Carlton, you're biased against Collingwood. Uh, people are very, yeah. very strong on their opinions of commentary. But from my perspective, I don't have time to be biased. Like I, I follow the Hawks. I'm not biased when I'm calling the Hawks or when I'm calling Australian Test cricket. There's no time to think, right, I want Australia to go well here. It just happens around you. But but when you're on that sideline role, which I've done on the radio when, when the team I go for in the AFL has won premierships, and, and I have been really invested in the game because I'm not calling it moment by moment. H- how invested are you in the penalty shootout and what's occurring as opposed to juxtaposing it with what your job is at the time? And where are you, where are you physically watching it, mate? Yeah, so to that point first, uh, the other night in Brisbane, we came, we had a, a FIFA, FIFA representative come up behind us about 10 minutes before the penalty shootout. So just into the second half of extra time and say, um, guys, if the penalty shootout is at the other end, because we sit behind the goals, you get a spot behind the goals. There's n- nothing's on the side because obviously advertising hoardings, and and that's where there's the most room behind the goals. So I'm, as we as we look at the pitch, I'm left yep. of screen, but just on the the closer side of the post at that end. If you know what I mean. Okay. So that's where so I'm how, sitting. How far, behind, how far behind the goals are you? I'm literally on the fence where the, okay. the advertising hoardings are yep. off the, just off the byline. So yep. say at one stage, the um, Steph Catley came down that left-hand side and she finished on the fence. I could like, she was literally a meter away. So I just said, wow. keep going Steph and she could hear me. So that's, that's how close you get <laughs> sometimes. Um, I don't think. Did you give it to the Frenchies when they came down the other way, or you're not allowed to do that? <laughs> no, I had too much respect for them. But yeah, okay. part of me was saying, "Oh, imagine if you just jumped the fence and tripped them up and rolled back or anything." Like that. No, yeah, Peter Hoare moment. <laughs> that would be the end of career, not only night. Um, so, that, so, so in the in the extra time, yeah. So extra time. So the FIFA representative comes up and says, "Oh, if they're at." this end, you can stay where you are. If they're at the other end, you can take a spot up at the other end. And and all our technical equipment was all um, bodied up and you're on the data plan in the stadium and everything. So you can't move, which which is fine. So there was a toss, so the flip of the coin about where, which end we were going to do the penalties. Lost the toss, Howie. It was up the other end. Oh, so. up the other end. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was down there, which was fine because you can still see everything. So now to your point about how I'm how I'm going through it just as a, you know, they're working, but as a football fan at heart, it's diametrically opposed to what I'd ordinarily be doing, which is in the stands, which I've done at the last two or the 2018 World Cup, certainly as a fan, is just yep. going absolutely burko at every great moment. So it, I knew, obviously, the story is playing out in front of you. So you've got to know the story as it happens so you can tell it afterwards both for yes. written form is what I'm doing at the moment and then the interviews as well and and the post-game analysis. So Adam writes for Code Sports. He's the number one uh, operator at Code Sports. His articles are blown up for the last month. So if you need to find out about the World Cup, <laughs> check out Code Sports. Thank you, Howie. Uh, Always look after so, the sponsors, mate. <laughs> I'm trying to take it all in. And it's probably the same, I don't know, when you said there you can't be biased, you can't be biased. Like you, no. your great call of that in, epic uh, India series at the Gabba when yep. Richard Pant went absolutely nuts on that last day, you, you don't have time to go, geez, I wish the Aussies would take a wicket here. Or, oh, they, no, you don't. Like Tim Payne should be doing this with his field or whatever like that. You're calling. So you're in a professional environment. And it, it just it's it's not something you need to be conscious of. You just automatically do it. So I, I made a point to sit and watch 
everything that was happening. And you had a great view. So I, was, I could easily see the bench. I could see the players in the huddle. And then in between those two, um, you know, reference points was the goal at the other end and who was taking them and how the keeper was trying to save them. So, yeah, I made sure that I didn't have my phone out to take a photo that I could put on Instagram later. I was just watching it with my own eyes and you you, you pick up so many things like when Mackenzie Arnold, her uh, penalty hit the post, Oh, the bench emptied. Like the bench, everyone on the sideline for the Matildas, they'd made their way onto the pitch by about 10 metres. They were off celebrating and then they stopped. <laughs> And then they turn around and you see everything happening. So just like these frames are so clear in my mind and I'm so glad I I did it without looking at a camera or trying to like text someone about how good this is. Just sitting there in a moment, taking it in and yeah, they're they're memories that won't leave my mind for a while, put it that way. So the numbers, I've glanced at them, but um, I've written a few numbers down. I, I'm sure you're across the seven numbers, yeah, of how many people have been watching. Mm. It's uh, funny. Um, I always judge. I always judge how many people are watching on how many when I turn my phone on at the end of an event. How many people have texted me, and I, I reckon I've got a pretty good guide. I think right. There's this many people texting me. This is many people watching. Has your phone been yeah. like blowing up? Uh, not blowing up, but I'm getting messages from people I haven't heard of for a while, <laughs> people that I didn't know were still alive and people who probably didn't think I was still alive until it, <laughs> until I pop up on their screens. It, it's weird. I, I was finally home for a bit of dinner last night um, with the kids. And these are the things you miss out on, How is you know, you've got kids as well. You, you, you go yeah. away. And it, look, we're not going away on a freaking call of duty for, for six months with the army. No. We're going away to report on sports. So it's nothing heroic about it. But you do miss out on time with your family and that's... <laughs> I wouldn't swap it. No offense, kids. But <laughs> you get back home, and you, you talk to them, and uh, one of them was at a dance at Stedford. One of them was watching at home. One of them was was at a mate's house. But they all told me that they were getting messages on Snapchat, like um, pictures on 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 the screen or, or or Instagram, whatever like that, from their friends and their greater circle of friends saying. I didn't know your dad was on TV <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> 25 <laughs> years, finally. You're the overnight sensation, mate. <laughs> but the best message I got, I'll try and yep. find it here, was actually from my 16-year-old daughter who um, she she works a butt off. She's she's in a full-time dance school, so she gets no time, no social life. So on Saturday night, she, everyone else was out. She was at home. But then I got a message from her just after the end, it was, yeah, 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 yeah. They won. I love penalty shootouts. I got so excited. You were very good as well, Dad. Proud of you, mate. <laughs> so oh, that's that was, nice. That was that's nice. That was the one that meant the most. But, yeah, you're getting messages from everyone, and you'd be the same as well, Howie, that, yeah, it's just nice to hear from people. But more importantly, it means the event is of greater significance than just your ordinary sporting event. So the, so the numbers – it's so for, we're trying to take people behind the scenes a little bit on what happens here. So anything we get wrong, it's Adam's fault, and he apologises immediately for these facts and figures that are wrong. But it was estimated, mate, two thousand. Um, it was a different rating system, but it was estimated eight million people watched Kathy Freeman run. Now our our population um, was probably only twenty million at the time, so it's a huge number. Two thousand three Rugby World Cup final, the Johnny Wilkinson, four million people. 2005 Australian Open, Leighton Hewitt uh, losing to Marit Safin was 5.7 million, which is huge. Last year, Barty was 4.3 million. Now, there's all sorts of ways to skin a cat, 
But what numbers are seven getting on these games of football? Extraordinary numbers. I think about eight million reach. So reach yeah. is not average. Average is you, you you average out whoever was watching over the course of I think it was nearly three hours the other night. Yes. the actual game. Uh, with half times and everything taken into account. So nearly 8 million people saw some of that football in that three-hour yeah, period. some part of it. And that's the thing about penalty shootouts. They're, they're the greatest thing ever for a TV station or a TV yes. network because word gets around and more and more and more and more draw in. You don't have to know what's happened beforehand. It's not like a movie. You can just tap in and go, oh, wow, this is exciting. So, yeah, 8 Eight million reach, I've heard, and it, wow. it just tipped over the Kathy Freeman mark. But like I said back then, the I remember at the Sydney Olympics working with in my previous life at Seven, we yeah. said after those ratings came out, I said, what the bloody hell were the other 12 million people yeah. doing? Yeah. It's yeah. the same yeah. here. What the freaking hell were the other 16 million doing? So it, it's not an accurate accurate thing because well, I think they're at, they're at the pub or they're at Federation Square or they're in the MCG yeah. watching it I like y- you get the number of people watching on TV but multiply that by pubs etc etc the business side of it so what we're seeing you know, you know Wednesday night Australia versus England it, 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 it will, you know, it's it's dwarfing what the AFL and NRL are getting for grand finals. So it, it most likely be the watched, or will be the most watched event on Australian TV this year, um, if not potentially in history. So that's the numbers we're talking. Now, this is not your area, but from what I can read, mate, seven, so Optus Vision had the rights and then they unsold parts of it to Channel 7. Uh, so Channel 7 have the broadcast rights to 15 games and it's estimated, mate, um, that it was a four to five million dollar spend for Channel Seven over the fifteen games. Now that that might be till you put your invoices in, it might blow out to seven mil at that point. But the no. the, the, <laughs> the business of sports TV. So so Mr. Warburton and his team sign it for let's say four or five million dollars for fifteen mm. games. But at that stage, now they're guaranteed Australia plays seven matches. So if they lose. Um, the semi, they go into the third versus fourth. That's the seventh game or the final is the seventh game. But it could have been three matches is what you get for the Matildas if, if they'd been knocked out in the preliminary round. So it's a risk when you're buying sports broadcast rights, but this has got to be a massive result for seven um, for exposure for advertisers because of the way the team's performed. Yeah, uh, and Optus Sport, I think they they deserve a bit of credit here because they were the ones that went all in. They they pushed yes. the chips to the centre of the table like no one else. And uh, I'm hearing reports of figures of between ten and twenty million to to buy the rights yep. overall. So so the way it works, FIFA go right, open tender, anyone can bid. Here we go, and they got the bids in, and Optus was clearly clearly the biggest bid in Australia because they they've got a different model because they're a telco and they can afford yep. to to leverage it in other ways that. TV network like uh, seven or, or nine or whoever, they just simply can't do. They don't have the scale. So they, they do it different because they want subscribers to their phones and all of that things. So they buy it and then they went out and said, well, we can't have it all. It's got to be on some form of free-to-air television. So they, they put out a tender process to go, okay, send us some bids. And seven went to them and I don't know what happened with those negotiations. I don't know what the exact figure were the figures were, but let's face it, um, They've got unders. They've paid unders for it. Yes, um, and, yes. and it's a gamble. Some sometimes you pay way overs for for TV rights, and and some 
way unders. The way that the deal was structured, it was 15 games. So regardless of where the Matildas dipped in or out of the tournament, it was always going to be three Matildas games plus three other group games plus four of the eight round of 16s, two of the four quarterfinals, the two semis and the final. So that that was locked in before the tournament started. And then they, uh, and this is in Media Week as well, I think, they, they joined up in terms of advertisers um, to, to get the same platform. So there wasn't any crossover. There wasn't any, you know, uh, for instance, I think Hyundai and Kia are sponsors of FIFA and they came on board. It wasn't like Ford came in with Channel 7 to kind of ambush market or anything like that. So it was all clean. It was a good process. It's all working beautifully. We're over the moon for the numbers, which Optus don't release them and I get it as well because it's not fair because they're a different yeah. model. But their uh, numbers yeah. through their digital platforms are off the charts. So they've been – They've got some back with that and obviously seven with the way that we've done things with our broadcast. We're over the moon with our numbers and, yeah, who knows what it's going to be on Wednesday. But team performance is so important, isn't it? Because if you consider the Matildas aren't playing in that quarterfinal, I I, I can't speak for seven and the way they would do it, but I would imagine that the quarterfinal doesn't become in Melbourne on the main seven channel. I I presume they're sticking um, Carlton Melbourne on the main channel and – you know, everyone has the ability to access Seven Mate or the digital arms of Seven, but the fact that they're able to put it on the main channel and give the advertisers that type of exposure, as you say, it becomes an enormous, an enormous win and credit because they put the money on the line. Yeah, hundred percent. You you look at the last two Wimbledon's. I'll, I'll just go away from um, the Matildas for a moment. So Nick Kyrgios, I'd say Channel Nine are over the moon with Nick Kyrgios in 2022 because as yep. that run to the final and their numbers are off the charts. Now, the tournament is still as good and the final is better in 2023 with Alcaraz playing Djokovic, but the numbers in Australia are nowhere near and nine don't get the return on their investment like they did. It's it's purely on the result. And look, we're a big, big event country. We love a big event involving an Australian doing something on the world stage. There's no bigger stage than a, a World Cup yeah. in football or an Olympics. So uh, you look back to the 2021 Olympics as well, Howie, when the whole country was locked down and that Olympic team kind of lifted the entire nation up because it you did. know we're we're feeling what we're feeling staring at the wall at home and and they're doing what they're doing over in Tokyo and it was great and um they performed above expectations and and carried us along with it same here just one more question on the on the broadcast rights in the lead up to the tournament explain to me it's Mr Infantino yeah the the man in charge at FIFA Gianni. Gianni, yep. your man yep. Gianni. I like how you're a first name operated with Gianni. So at, at various stages, we were getting reports that there was going to be a media blackout in Europe and the games yep. wouldn't be shown because FIFA weren't happy with the potential TV right size check that the European broadcasters were willing to write. Yeah, what, what, what was that all about? So this is the first World Cup where the Women's World Cup has been commercially separated from the Men's World Cup and okay. they wanted to just see how they went to see if the Women's World Cup was sustainable to cover the costs. And they are great costs that they have. It's not like they're going the cheap here with the teams. They've all got charter flights around the country, staying in five-star hotels. The training grounds are opulent, the gym gear, everything. It's it's all provided. The players are paid and parity might be there with the men's in, in four years' time. So to do all that, they need to go to market and get as much money as they can commercially, be it through sponsors or TV companies. Now, FIFA knew where European uh, TV companies were ready to pay X amount for the Men's World Cup in Qatar in a decent time zone. They knew they were lowballing them on the women's, but lowballing them 
to an unsatisfactory level to the point where Infantino said, look, sharpen up, otherwise we're going to think of an alternative here. This is simply not good enough. And with FIFA, they do have memory. So they would have then carried that, even though contracts would have been signed for the next Men's World Cup, the one after that, it's like, hey, cut it out. So eventually they, they got to a point where they were happy. Like the Americans, Fox Soccer, they go all in probably more so on the women's side than they do the men's side because their women's team has been so successful. And that's why you saw some kickoff times at 11 o'clock in the morning here in Australia. It was purely for the American TV audience. So, yeah, I, I think they've they've covered themselves in terms of revenue to to um, to costs for this World Cup, somewhere in the realm of $500 million. Um, but that's still small fry compared to the men's World Cup. But they see this as a starting point. They don't see this as we have to do this now, otherwise it's end of days. This is a starting point. So it's always going to grow and the pie is going to grow going forward for the women's World Cup. They had to make a tough call and now is the time to make that tough call and that's why they did it. Okay, so that's the rights. Now, I'm fascinated from my perspective on, on what's involved in your job at Seven. So just briefly explain to people what what you are doing there and then I've got some logistic questions that, might explain a little bit to people what goes on behind the scenes when you're broadcasting mm-hmm. an international event, which you are now, which you don't have the same access that you would if it was an AFL or an NRL game, for example. Yeah, yeah, it is very different. It's very restrictive and we'll get into what what you have to do with FIFA and it, 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 it works and they're an operation like no other. But uh, my role uh, for the Matildas games is uh, sideline hosts, sideline during game, post-match interviews with players uh, when non-Matildas go and then Bruce, uh, do we need to say his last name? It's just Bruce, isn't it? Bruce McAvaney. You can call him Bruce McAvaney or episode 34 of the Howie Games. You you, you choose which one you want to go with, Guru. I I like to call him episode 34 when I see him pop up. (laughs) 34, how you going, bro? Um, No, so it's Bruce and Mel Mel McLaughlin. and so happy for Mel to have this moment because she went to Seven Network and, you know, football. Uh, yes. There wasn't much football on Seven Network, but she's a complete disciple for a very long time since since she first um, uh, breathed the first breath, Mel. She was a football fan. So uh, she's host with uh, Bruce in the Matildas games and I've got that sideline role, which is epic because you're on the ground. It's like, as we were talking about before, it's best seat in the house. But the matches that Bruce isn't at, uh, for the non-Matildas matches, I'm studio host with with Mel in the studio as we, we take the pictures in from wherever the games are happening. So on that, how did you knife episode 34 at the biggest game of the year versus France? Oh, I'm waiting to see my man episode 34 pop up yes. next to Mel and uh, he's been yes. shunted to the side by you. Now, now, how have you managed to get rid of Australia's premier <laughs> broadcaster and you sneak your way in there for a double invoice style operation? No, I got told the day, day before Bruce wasn't feeling 100% and Bruce has right. got to be careful. It's been well documented about yes. his... His, his health issues and he, he it nothing nothing sinister like no headlines about oh no the end of yep. Bruce, he's fine he's fine he just wasn't a hundred percent he's got to be careful so I got told the night before um, and the first thing I did was like um, Bruce how's the knife in your back no sorry Bruce how you feeling <laughs> <laughs> no I, so much respect for the guy um, because he was on when I joined Channel 7 as a cadet, he was hosting the program I was assigned to. That's the program I started working on as a cadet. And from day one, the friendliest, most open, um, warm-hearted guy going around. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was really weird that at 
kind of happen like this. But no, he, he's, I'm told, he's definitely back on Wednesday, which is unreal for, for the broadcast because the guy's an icon. Yeah, he is. He is. So just just on that again, just trying to explain to people what's going on. So so the commentators, it's David Bashir and your special comments crew are up in a commentary box. You're physically, you know, up to 100 metres away from him and them. You're down on the sidelines. How do you guys go about not speaking over each other as how do you get to speak? What's the process for you to speak on the broadcast? Because he can't see you. He can't yeah. know when you want to speak or when you don't want to speak. So explain how that works. Yeah, it's, it's purely communication. So my mic doesn't go to air when I'm not talking. So it, it, you're, you're trusting the audio director and we've got some fabulous operators in Australia um, audio-wise, which is we're almost world-leading in, in that sense, uh, that we've got the audio director who's got my mic down, but I can still talk to the producer, Paul Meltz, who's back in the studio, a central command, overseeing it all. And so he's, he's the conduit. He's communicating then, okay, I've got something to say. Like the other night, Kai Simon's warming up behind me to potentially coming on, come on to take a penalty. I yep. tell um, Melsey that he passes on to David Bashir and also uh, Grace Gill to say, "Hey, Ads has got something. Next ball's in play, and it's hard in football because the ball's in play for yes. so long. And when it's out of play, it's back in play really quickly. You've got to wait until basically someone goes down with an injury. So, yeah, um, that's that's how it's communicated, and and that's how. It, and I, I'm only needed to come on two times a half tops, which is fine. Um, but the, there's there's tactical information, especially with the spot I've got behind. So everyone thinks because well, we watch on television, we watch football horizontally. But watching Side it, on, it yeah. it's a vertical it's a vertical game because that's how the players see it, and to see it from that angle is is fascinating. You can see where things are evolving during the contest. So to, to chime in with that occasionally is good. A couple more questions on the broadcast side of things, then I, I want to talk about player access and how it all works. Uh, a very good uh, mate of mine, a photographer, he's been working on the World Cup. I won't name him, but um, and he's a, a big listener of the Howie Games. He knows who he is, the guru, so thanks for tuning in because he'll be listening to this. He was explaining to me that he'd been working uh, at various games and he said the bureaucracy that you need to work your way through is there's a lot of red tape. And I was saying, oh, give me an example. He said, well, I get a car park pass, but I have to go into the ground to get the car park pass. So I have to park outside the ground illegally, go into the ground, get the car park pass, go back to my car, which is parked illegally, and I've probably got a ticket because I'm outside the Amy Park or wherever it may be, and then drive in with my car park pass. And I can relate to that experience with Olympics and those big events. What? Um, and it's all done for a reason because you just can't have a free-for-all with 30 global broadcasters all there at the same time wanting to get access. So, so how does it work? For you, what can you do and what can't you do? Uh, I, with my pass, I can do most things. I have to have a bib with me. I call it uh, Gianni's Bibs of Zurich, the new brown range that are out now. Is out now. It's a Sounds wonderful fetching. brown. Oh, I'll, I'll take it. For, I'll put it up for you next time when I'm at the ground, Good. and I'll put it on. I'll, I'll chuck it on Insta. But um, yeah, the, the, you get a bib. You get a pass. So your access pass tells you it's like the Olympics. Your accreditation pass. You've got to have it on at all times. Uh, you get scanned at every checkpoint that you go through. So when you get to a ground, you go through the entrance, you get your bag checked, you get scanned in, you go, I generally go down to the broadcast compound and then we go up to our studio. But downstairs is where it all happens, the nerve center of near the tunnel. You can't go near the tunnel. That's players and officials only. That's cool. Back of house, you've got all these rooms and they've got them set up one by one. And one of them is a, what's called a mix zone interview flash room. 
I know yep. that's a long name, but that's where all the TV interviews get done with the broadcasters that have got the rights for the games. And that's where we're housed. Pre-game, I'll do an interview with Tony Gustafsson when he arrives. Funny story about that. I missed, I missed my spot in the oh. Niger- Nigeria game. I was stuck in the lift at Suncorp Stadium. Worst lifts in Australia. Um, and I've got, got told 6.30 is your interview with Tony. 6.20, the bus arrives. Where are you? Well, it's not 6.30. Oh, so I get in the lift, quickly go down. I'm running, running, running. And he's actually stayed for me. He's, he's actually a really genuine, nice guy, Tony Gustafsson. So he had a laugh about it. He was, he was like, he was trying to do a stern face at me as if to say, why are you doing this to me? But two steps in, he started pissing himself laughing. So he's... <laughs> well, well uh, that, that's the only game we've lost. So please be on time for the semifinal for your pre-game Tony <laughs> chat. <laughs> I have been since. So you go and do your interviews there, and that's where I do the post-game interviews. But then yep. you go to the sideline, you get uh, beeped in to actually access the ground, but you can only do it at the ends, not through the main tunnel. That's players and officials only. Don't go near there. I learned that on the, the day one. It's like, you can't go near there. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. Anyway, uh, and then down, we've got a spot to do our, you'll notice on the ground, we've got a hosting spot. So we're actually on the ground. That's where I explained where I was for the sideline in game commentary, where you're sitting on a seat and you have to keep low. And I feel sorry for the people behind in the crowd. You don't want, you know, know, you got a $300 ticket and you got blocked by some goon with a microphone. Um, So just around there on the side is the hosting position where we do all our stuff. So there's access there and they're the blue suits of FIFA. So there's blue, they all wear Navy suits uh, with FIFA on them and they're everywhere and they're official. um, They've got everyone's access, what they need at certain times. Everything's by the book, which it has to be, as you said, because otherwise it's just a free-for-all. Um, so even the photographers, your mate will tell you, before the game, you, you know, they, they have the anthems and then they go and have the official photo before, like they all crouch down as an 11 and have a, a quick photo with everyone. The photographers are literally roped in like they've got a – it's <laughs> like cattle being herded into a pen. They're, they've got a rope so that they can't run and they all get walked up to halfway and then after it, walk back with the rope and sit back down and take your photos from where you meant to during the game. It's, it's quite a weird scene, actually. So, yeah, everything's everything's by the book and to the second as well with FIFA. So, has to be. Alrighty, back to Adam. So, post game, this is this is this is what I really want to know about. So, if you if you're a fan of well, if now in modern test cricket, as soon as the players walk off the ground, you hear from them. AFL, they're mm. out on the ground, they're being interviewed. NRL, they're being interviewed. So you're, you're doing the post-game interview and it does my head in with the broadcast, but I want people to understand why it happens this way. So after the penalty shootout, all I want to do is hear from the final penalty taker and the goalkeeper. That's all I want to hear and I want to hear immediately because that's when the emotion is there. That And that's what we're used yep. to in our sport. How long after we win the penalty shootout do you get your first interview? The other night, it would have been about 20, 20 to 25 minutes. The reason being, so I mentioned before about how Optus are the main rights holders in yep. Australia and we sub-license, Channel 7 sub-licenses. Yep. Yep. So Optus get those first interviews off the pitch. Mark Schwartz does uh, has a chat to Tony Gustafsson and I think one player. They bring out an advertising board on halfway on the pitch and they yep. do those as quickly as they can after everyone. And how long is that, though? How, how long is oh, that? I reckon 
I don't know because I've made my way under, but okay. I think no more than five. It's, okay. It's, it's as quick as it can be because everyone's celebrating. But the most important thing is getting those advertising boards out from yes. 50 metres away yes. onto the pitch because, you know, Coca-Cola and Zero and all yes. that, they paid a, a stack of money to be on this broadcast. So they. So what I want, what, what I want, mate, this is, this is what I want. And I need you, now that you're a first name operator with Gianni, and I've thought about this, and I, uh, now people will understand why it, it takes time and it's not like our, our native football codes or cricket. If I'm in charge of broadcasting at FIFA, yeah. I'm getting a representative from the Australian media and the French media at that uh, at that game, for example. And as soon as it's done, I've I've got my sponsor board. I understand that, and I've got you or whoever it may be, and you've got Mackenzie Arnold in the huddle thirty seconds later. And anyone in the world that wishes to take that interview can yep. take that interview. So we get that emotion of the actual moment, which on these big events, Olympics, they get them there reasonably quickly, but it'd be great to have that immediacy. Now, that's nothing It's nothing to do with Seven or Optus. People who follow the conversation and understand this. That I crave that immediacy to Mackenzie Arnold. What were you thinking when you missed what were you thinking when you made the final save? When she hasn't had time to think or prepare, it's just this is what happened. Yeah, yeah, and she hasn't been told. Well, yeah, as you say, hasn't been able to comprehend it. You don't. You just yeah. want what's at the front of her mind. I, I get it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see, and because we're used to it as well, and like American sports is a is a prime example. But we don't see much in football. It doesn't never. Like, Never. Working on the coverage on Fox Sports, we were the first to start doing, you know, just walk out there and get someone straight away. And there were some great interviews with that. Yes. Like I remember one with a player called Louis Fenton at Wellington Phoenix. Tommy could dive into it. He, they got ripped off on a decision. He just let rip with the biggest F-bomb you've ever seen in his first answer, and he was nearly <laughs> crying in the answer. You don't get that in world football. You, you Premier League, you don't get to talk to the players as they come off. It's 10 no. minutes after. Um, yeah, it's, it's just – Unfortunately, I don't. I think it's set in stone. That's what's going to happen. As much as you can petition and, um, you know, go out the front of uh, FIFA offices in Zurich, Howie, when you're yep. over there on one of your backpacking <laughs> trips coming up, that uh, I don't think it's going to happen, mate. It, it will change at some point because it needs to because of the competitive environment football is in yep. versus other entertainment. You, you know, that's that, that it will change. But I, I understand. Mm. I understand why it happens. Um, access to players. During the event, I have a lot of mates have said to me, "Why don't we hear more from the Matildas?" And I'm, I try and explain to them because the, it's not like Collingwood post training where ten people might want to speak to them. The size of the media core following. So, do you have any access to individual players away from press conferences during the duration of the World Cup? Not one on one. No. Right. Uh, Optus, Optus do because they're the primary broadcaster in Australia. So the primary yep. host broadcaster for that nation uh, gets sit-down interviews day before game or two days before game with coach and one player. So that's how that works, okay. uh, which is fine because they've invested the money. But outside of that, no, the one-on-one -on -one access dried up at the start of July for Right. Uh, the Matildas and Football Australia have tried to control it and they've tried to let people know. And it's difficult because, again, we're used to, I can call up, you can call up the Collingwood media manager and go, yes. can I get Scotty Pendlebury on for Howie Games next week? Yeah, no worries if you can do it. Tuesday might work. 
none of that during the World Cup. It's it's impossible. So they they put up uh, each each day. They put up two players for a press conference, but that's by rotation. They're they're you know, and I think the. This week they'll put up senior players. I don't think they'll expose any younger players to to press conferences like today, as we sit here right now. Tamika Yallop and Lydia Williams are the two that they put up, so they're, they're experienced players. So they'll manage it that way. But yeah, they don't have to go above and beyond. And look, they'd look at it and think, oh, we we could maximise it more and get more players talking. But eight million people were watching. They're going to yeah. watch anyway. So let no. let it be, and that's how it works. Yeah, I think you need to protect the players on, on on a situation like this when when the demand is so high. So you talked about Tony Gustafson and so good dude. We we rate Tony dealing with him one on one. Nice fella, yeah. Yeah, uh, nice bloke. The, his his manner of greeting you never changes. He's always happy to see you. Looks in the eye, shake shakes your hand, blah blah. He, he's a positive guy. He's he's suited, I think, to this team, this personality of this team because he is a. He's he's probably overly positive, and I don't know if he can be that. But you know what I mean. He's like, yep. is is he is that really him? Because he's he's so happy and exuberant, and look, he he, he spills his guts with uh, whatever he's thinking about at that time in in press conferences and and one on one interviews. So after each match, I've got a one on one interview with him, uh, which is the interview I really enjoy because you can not try and skewer the bloke, but you can go at him with some pretty pointed questions about why did you make this decision? And I remember the one uh, after Nigeria, it was like, okay, well, why didn't you make a sub? Because you've always gone yep. on about how you want to have game changers come on. You didn't make a sub and you didn't change things until too late. And yeah, you, you get the raw answer right there because he's, his mind's still spinning. So uh, yeah, nice guy to deal with. Um, and just a, a genuine, you know, he cares a lot about his players. He cares a lot about what he does and he cares about how he prepares and he, Obviously, by as a byproduct of that, cares a lot about the result. Two more player questions. You know what? I, I think from the outside, first couple of games, people were warming to him. Football fans knew him, but the country's mm. being introduced to him. When he started to get emotional, I think that's when the country fell for him. When, when Because it was like, right, this bloke's not just a gun for hire. He's getting teary. He's getting emotional. He's defending his players. That, that connection... He seemed at that point, he would have been fully invested, but I think that's as a public when we saw he was fully invested. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. But the flip side of that is if we go out against Canada, he's hung, hung drawn, and quartered in Correct. a metaphorical sense, of course. Correct. Um, he, he would have been the full guy, the full yes. guy. We wouldn't have blamed no the doubt. players too much. He would have been like, this guy, imposter, what's he doing? Which is totally unfair. And flip side is we like now that the players have done what they've done, let's not put him up in terms of the, the greatest managers we've ever seen. He's he's still kind of and I get the feeling he's learnt a lot as much as anyone along along this path because for a long time he was the assistant for the American team. Uh, he he's had the odd head coaching job along the way, but his ability with that American team who won two World Cups, he was the assistant to Jill Ellis, uh, put him in the frame for a job like this, but. Now he's in charge. He's exposed. He's he's the guy, and I think in that group stage, he he would have learned a lot about how it all works, and you know the the media reactions, his player reactions, all the outside pressures, and that's tough because he's learning on the run, and it's never an ideal situation. But they came through that, and 
yeah, wow. Um, now it looks like his his tenure is an unmitigated success, and he'll definitely lead us to the the Paris Olympics. Hopefully, qualify later this year, and then beyond, maybe. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because you're not only dealing with a national sporting team, you're d- dealing with a culture of the country. So what the American media and public want to hear might be completely di- – I was looking at the, the the French coach and he's ca- coaching the French team. You know, last Men's World Cup, he's coaching Saudi Arabia. Like the difference in cultures and the way you need to mm. express yourself is I, I guess it's something hard to prepare for. Okay, Sam Kerr. Everybody wants to know about Sam Kerr. Your dealings with Sam, what type of person is Sam away from the football pitch? I've had the pleasure of interviewing her once in LA and I found her warm and friendly, not overly expressive, but Mm. really approachable. Um, Just seemed like a lovely person, but that was a one-off for 20 minutes. To to the outsiders, to to outsiders to her, so people outside her her sphere of family and friends, I'd probably describe her as quiet and humble. Yep. like naturally quiet and humble, but inside that Matilda's group and around family, I don't, don't know what happens with family, but um, in the group, I think she's a bit of yeah, a bit of an extrovert. She, she makes a bit of noise and has a bit of fun and a leader as well. I think she's really developed that in the last five years, but for, for outside, and maybe that's something to do with, you know, what, uh, with Daniel um, being a, a superstar AFL player over in the fishbowl that is WA and so, Perth. So this is Sam's brother, Dan, um, Daniel Kerr, who's a premiership player. She might have learned a lot about and, and, and had some advice from either Daniel or, or the greater family about, hey, don't get too close to strangers or people that you don't know if you like. And, and that's, that's fine. She, but because, yeah, being involved in football, she was an ambassador for Fox Sports when uh, she was playing in the W League, um, interviewing her there, dealing with her. It, always, always friendly, um, never to up herself to say hello or anything like that, just completely down to earth. And even the other night after the game, she she was spent. She played 70 minutes um, and it's the first high-intensity 70, 70 minutes in a very long time. So I think she was exhausted physically and, and, and mentally just trying to come down off the enormous high. Um, she was still saying hello and, oh, give us a hug and, oh, how good's this? And don't play, like, don't play it cool. And that's what she says to me, don't play it cool because we're trying to be professional and do a proper interview and stuff like that. So, right. no, she's, um, she's, a good, she's a good person, good person. That's great to hear. I noticed I saw a clip of her handing a shirt to a young lady in the crowd after the oh, game the other night. And just, just, well, just the joy on the, on the kids' faces, which is what a lot of this – well, oh, so I was going to say, what, what, what? just on that, I, on. I put in code sports. Um, that, can you imagine in, like, say, 70 years, sh- that young girl will be a great-grandmother and she'll be telling her great-grandkids about that moment and probably, yeah. hopefully, the shirt's still with us if it hasn't evaporated, if it's made out of uh, stern stuff, that, yeah, she can show that shirt. It's just a beautiful moment. So good. So, so the business of Sam Kerr, so... Again, those that aren't overly familiar, she plays in the English Premier League, um, plays yep. for Chelsea. Um, what 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 is Sam Kerr getting paid by Chelsea ish? I don't know if you know exact figures. If it's it's probably published, but ish, what does she get paid? It's really weird. I was talking about this to a, an English colleague um, earlier today. That the English Super League um, wages for the the women's the women's Super League, they're yep. No one knows. It's, it's kept really quiet because I, I guess that's a byproduct of no one's really kind of investigated it because it's more about this sport growing. And I, I guess now when it, it 
especially in Australia, when it's just going to explode commercially over the next five years, given what's happened this month, that it, it will become more known. But I, I, I honestly could not tell you how much. I, she's I read won. a couple of things, and it was there, there was wildly conflicting, but there was talk of six hundred thousand Australian yeah, for a, a season. Do you, do you know? Do um, this is probably not public either. Do you know what like a Matilda match payment is? Uh, it's whatever the Socceroos are. That, that's a good point as well. I, because I tend not to really care about no. those things as much no. as I probably should know as a journalist. But I don't know. You're talking ten, fifteen thousand dollars a match. I think okay. match payments. Okay. I, I, I again, total guess. The the PFA will know. So did you read Max Markson's article? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Max Markson, he's a man that. Um, PR, I guess, would be his caper, knows how to yes. deliver a headline. Did, yes. did he say that she had earning potential over a career of half a bill? Was that was that the number Maxie was putting up the flagpole? Yeah. I don't know why. That, yeah. That's a big number. I, that's a big number. That's a big <laughs> number. That's a big understatement, How I? Uh, <laughs> I don't know where he's plucked that from. I don't think he understands the market. The market's not bad at the moment in women's football. Sponsorship-wise, she can ride her own ticket in Australia. Sponsorship-wise. She, she's a Nike wise, athlete, yeah. She's, yeah, a, Nike. she's a, a highly paid Nike athlete from what I can gather in relative terms. Yeah, she's got uh, EA Sports as well and she's got a number of others. I, her her manager, Nikki, um, lovely woman based in Australia and she's got a f- – football agent as well. So this is the good thing about for the Matildas. I'll, I'll just break out from just Sam alone, but she's at the center of this. So the Matildas now, they've, they've got some really smart people with them here in Australia that are going to help help them commercially. Um, like People like Courtney Vine wrote an article on her today. She doesn't have a car. When she was away with the Matildas in April, she had her car, an old Kia bomb, parked out the front of her partner's house in suburban Sydney. It got Sideswiped and totaled, and since then she doesn't have a set of wheels. She's, this is Courtney you know, Vine who put right. us through to the semi-final. Doesn't have a car. Um, wow. Uh, Caitlin Ford's uh, family mum. She's got an old bomb, and this is Caitlin Ford's mum, Simone, who would get up at four thirty in the morning on Wednesdays and Fridays. I think it was to drive to Sydney to get Caitlin for a six thirty session in the pitch right next to the Sydney Olympic Stadium, which she ripped apart against Denmark in the round of 16. So these are the things that hopefully change for these women and their families because they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. And they've got some good people working with them behind the scenes to make them like the as commercially successful as, you know, our best cricketers, our best footy players. Well, you, you look at the brands and I, I looked on the shirts and then I, I did a bit of reading, Qantas, Lego, Nike, Cadbury, Commonwealth Bank, Priceline, like th- these are blue chip sponsors involved mm. in the Matildas and they'll all be looking to to continue with their deals like Seven, you know, they, they've probably got it out of steel compared to the exposure they're getting. Mate, the, sort of the last sort of area I wanted to cover with you, um, you're, you're a grassroots football man. So whenever a big event takes place, Australia qualifies for the World Cup. The immediate line is this is so good for the sport in our country because it's going to flow into more players, more funding, et cetera. So I read that the CEO of the FAA had said they expected off the back of this a 20% increase in playing ranks with young girls and women and they're trying to get their hands on half a billion dollars worth of funding to go into grassroots football infrastructure, change rooms, pitches, etc. You've lived this ride 
for 20 years about this is the, the, the great awakening of football in this country and what it can become. Is this another chapter? Is it another book? Is it a whole new <laughs> series? What, what, what? And you can answer this from a media perspective and from a man that works in grassroots football with your kids. What, what do you think something like this can do? It can do anything, but you've got to have the plan in place for the explosion of those numbers. So those numbers are going to come. It's a bit like a shop or, or like a restaurant. All of a sudden, word gets out, you've got the best steak in town. Are you ready to have the number of bookings that you're going to cop and you've got everything in order from front of house service to everything in between to be ready to make that experience an enjoyable one so those customers keep on coming back. Now, players aren't customers, they're players and parents of players aren't customers, they're parents. The The open arm approach is there for the most part in football and yes, it's going to be great to have those extra 20% or whatever, whatever the figure lands on. But a couple of things are absolutely key here. So it is government support with infrastructure, grounds, training grounds, lights, dressing rooms. And they've tried with this as well, um, Football Australia, and, and they'll continue to do so and bang on the draw, drum. And, and Craig Foster is right when he says, any politician walking around town now with a scarf on, we'll remember because we're coming for you, coming to you to ask for what we need. He said, his direct quote was, I've kept receipts, which sounds a little kind of, you know, sinister, but no, Fozzie, that's that's the language that he used and it's great. There, it's, ain't, it's, it's there ain't many politicians I've seen, mate, that haven't had the scarf on, to be fair. It's true. It's true. But the, the, the absolute key for me I see here is the biggest thing they've got to get right is the coaching of these kids coming through. So- as, as much as we love the parent volunteer doing the job on a weekend for kids to, to help out, yeah, we've got to have a structure in place where the coaching and the generational shift of the game is looked after in the coaching and the inclusiveness that good coaching can bring to not only bring people to the game who are going to come anyway, but keep them there. So... They've they've got to they've got to figure out a way football Australia to make that better because at the moment I'm not sure the game can cope. Well, mate, you've been generous with your time. Um, anything you want to leave us with about your Matilda journey or the journey that's taking place in front of you before you head off to go and put another invoice in somewhere, Guru? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first thought that I had when things started to go the right way for Australia and Mary Fowler's performance against Canada and Hayley Rasso scoring her goals is is something that kind of, yeah, tickles my heart like you wouldn't believe is you imagine the excitement of the six or seven-year-old girl rocking up the next Sunday after that for her game, wanting to be Mary Fowler to the point where she's got black gloves on or wanting to be Hayley Rasso, she's got a gold ribbon in or the colour of her uniform that she wears. That, that for me is the best part of that is that – and the, the Matildas crowds are different. They're, there's no alpha male behavior going on in the stands. It's the oldest person in the room is feeling like the youngest person in the room and it's all just love and support for the players on the field. And there's so many kids in the stands. I've never seen so many kids at a top-level sporting event in the stands as I have this event and, and that for me is the best because you need – I remember when I f- truly fell in love with football, it was actually watching 
Italia 90 in the lounge room at home going, wow, look at this, look at the scale of this event. Um, and that was through the television. So I can't imagine what it's like for a, a seven, 12 year old, whatever kid that is seeing this and feeling this themselves and it's with them for life. That's the best thing of all for me about this event. Uh, mate, it's a great description um, and it's prompted one final question from me uh, because I've been, uh, I've done a lot of reading. She's oh, she's really come into my level of conscious is Mary Fowler. Um, I love watching her play and I've been reading about villages in Papua New Guinea with relatives, the tuning in. Why hmm. is she wearing black gloves? Why does Mary Fowler wear gloves? I think it. she didn't exactly explain it, but she said something after the, I think she was asked that direct question and she said uh, it's sensory. It's like, you know, some kids have, like my, my son was the same. Whenever he was, like we had carpet at our house, he'd, he'd always pick up a little piece of carpet and have it in his yep. hands just to, like, just, I don't know if it's a sensory issue. He's just wanting to feel something in his hands. He's, it helps his brain tick or helps with his breathing or whatever like that. I think Mary Fowler's like that. She's just like, she needs something on her hands to feel yeah, the senses and get the rest of the senses going. So I think that's as close a, as a description as I can give. Might be totally wrong, but that's from an answer that she gave after the Canada game. I love it, mate. You can see Adam in the semifinal on seven. You can read about it in Code Sports. You can hear him on Willow Talk. I, I can't list his number of media deals he's got rolling on, but he's doing a great job on all of them. But, mate, I know you're a busy man, so thanks for coming on, having a chat, and just taking us behind the scenes, not about the tactics, but what's involved in the World Cup. And um, I'll be tuning in to watch you in action as well as Mary and Sam and Caitlin and all of them, mate. I hope uh, I hope you get a couple more days to put invoices in because it means the Matildas are rolling on. The uh, the accountant doesn't know what's about to hit him. Put it that way, Howie. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Stay safe. Thanks for having a chat. Thanks, mate. You too. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. try.